The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Experience the difference. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Unlock the power of your dreams. Welcome to Ask Dr. Dream with Kelly Sullivan Walden. Welcome to Ask Dr. Dream, where you uncover the truth of your dreams and reveal the beauty of who you are. I'm your host, Kelly Sullivan Walden, here on Unity Online Radio. And today's show is called Men Who Stare at Goats Remote Viewing in Dreams. Now, you may have heard of this movie. It came out a number of years ago, starring George Clooney. It was all about these special people that have the ability to be able to see through the things that most of us can't see through. And they have special abilities and they use them for very practical reasons to help on the level of the government or help in in many ways beneath the scenes. And... Um, but I want you to know, instead of being terrified, <laughs> being scared that these kind of things are going on, know that our guest today, my guest today is Eugene N. Kavalenko, and he is going to inspire us and enlighten us, not frighten us, but bring us to a, a higher level with his way of working with dreams. He's a very, very special human. I feel so blessed to have him on the show today. So before we get started and before I introduce you to Eugene, let me just invite all of you to stop what you're doing and take a couple of deep breaths. And let's just let everything go. Imagine every exhale can help you release any angst, any worry, any hurry, any flurry, anything that you don't want to hold on to for the rest of the day. Let it go. Let it go. Let it go. With every breath you take, you can start over. Let go of what might be clouding your radar and open up with every brand new breath to the highest, most beautiful, enlightened point of view. Open up to the sunlight of the spirit. Open up to the wisdom, the guidance, the higher intelligence that you are intrinsically connected to, knowing that we're not just joining on this unity online radio, but we are joining in a unified field of infinite, unconditional love, infinite possibilities, and a place where dreams do come true because we are all living in a dream state and things and reality, it's a bit more malleable than we might give credit for. And we can do things with what's happening here. We can see through walls. We can go to places that we haven't bought airline tickets to. We can we can tap in to our deeper powers. And that's what I'm going to invite you to do today. Extreme times call for extreme measures. And I would say we're in a bit of a pressure cooker right now in our world. So let's use that as fuel, as rocket fuel to go deep and to go far and to get enlightened. So my guest today is going to help us do that. He was featured 
in the book and the major motion picture entitled Spies Beneath Berlin. Eugene N. Kavalenko, PhD, is credited for being one of the psychics to help bring down the Berlin Wall. You know, there are people that are in the psychic world that have spiritual gifts that we might call airy fairy types. I'm sure everyone who's listening to this show is would be in that category. But and then there are those who are nitty gritty, who are very much about what are you going to do? How do you how do you measure your progress or your success? People that are very scientific or have an engineering mind. And usually people fit in one category or the other. But Eugene Kavalenko fits into both. He brings them both together. So he was part of the inspiration for the movie featuring George Clooney that I talked about earlier, Men Who Stare at Goats. Eugene is going to share with us today his firsthand experience about being a part of a real-life branch of intelligence, army intelligence or military intelligence, that harnesses people with extrasensory perception and lucid dreaming mastery to gain information and in some cases influence behavior. So prepared to be not just shaken and not just frightened, but to be enlightened by all the different works of art and power and mastery and mystical intuitive abilities that the beautiful and wonderful soul Eugene and Kavalenko has to share with us today. So without further ado, Eugene, thank you so much for joining me on Ask Dr. Dream. Well, I'm, I'm delighted to be here, uh, Shelley, but I need, do need to correct you on one thing. Okay. Uh, uh, on the Berlin operation that I was a part of, that the film, Spies Beneath Berlin, is based on, has nothing to do with the uh, men who stare at goats. This was well before the Berlin Wall. Oh yes. Wall. Oh yeah. I think we know that. I think if people people I'm I blend I blend them together only because they're two things that the average person can point to and say, "Wow, wow, wow." But no, they're not. They're not one and the same thing. But you are connected to both of those things. Yes. Uh, yes, in uh, in a in a indirect way in the last part. <laughs> My experience when when I was just a young soldier in this Berlin thing that blew my mind was was when I became awakened to a reality that uh, that was working, but I couldn't communicate, and no one had taught me. It was it was something because of that pressure that just came up, and so it was kind of. I, I, that was I, the best way I can explain it was it was a primitive form of remote viewing before remote viewing became something that was trainable. How did they, so tell us how you came to do this. I mean, how, I know a lot of very gifted people that, that are just being gifted in their own basements <laughs> that aren't doing something unique for the world or on a large scale, how did you how did you come to do this kind of work? How did they f- discover you? That's that's where it began for me. I was in this project which I couldn't talk about for 20 years or more. Um, and it was a CIA MI6 joint venture with an army cover, and and the CIA had run out of qualified agents. Uh, or to deal with 
to be involved with this project, which connected the German or the Soviet High Command based in Berlin, Germany. This we're talking 1955-56. So that, so the, the Army Corps of Engineers dug a tunnel from the American sector in Berlin into the Soviet sector, into their top secret cables beneath the ground, and uh, and connected the communication cables between tapped into those communication cables that were connected to Berlin to Moscow. And I was assigned, I had been trained as a Russian interpreter at the Army Language School. And and my job was to to assess the conversations I heard between the Soviet High Command and their counterparts in Berlin and Moscow and and report on what I was hearing in terms of intentions of the Soviets. That was their main focus. What are Soviet intentions? Up to that time, in trying to get a, a note, uh, trying to understand the Soviet intention could only be gotten in a, on a second-hand basis. But this was an opportunity to get the raw stuff straight. And, so let uh, me just let me just pause you for one second. So so you were hired because of your skill at being able to speak Russian. You were you were you were skilled at being able to interpret what they were saying, and because you could hear their voices, you were then called to take it a little bit deeper, which is see if you can discern their intentions. And none of this has to do with necessarily psychic, your psychic abilities right. yet, but it's simply, okay, so you're getting in place was because you could speak Russian. Okay, keep going. And the psychic business only began, I wouldn't have called it psychic. I don't even know if I knew the word psychic back then. Um, and under that pressure, uh, and you can see that in the film, uh, under that pressure, uh, working you know long hours and being highly motivated to do something for my country, uh, I began having pop-ups come into my mind. I like I like to use computer terms here; it's more useful. But mm-hmm. you know, this was before the computer became, <laughs> was uh, became a, a common staple, but. These pop-ups would come into my mind as I was trying to translate these conversations, and they would crowd out what I thought my real job was. So I discovered that I could download these pop-ups with my uh, out of my head with my left hand. I am left-handed, and I was working my all my equipment with my right hand. That uh, got me, you know, back backwards and forwards on these recordings that were hot off the the recorded uh, lines, um, and and the uh, and I would I didn't know what, what these were, but I they were images and words and scribbles. So I just I could download them just by getting them out of my head, so I could go back to what I thought my real job was was which was which were those conversations. So Eugene, hang on one second. Let's let me just make sure I am am following this. So you're hearing kind of on one side, what they're saying, and then you get these little pop-ups, these thoughts, these deep, like an, an insight into what they're saying, like they're saying chocolate chip ice cream, but what what you're seeing is is something like a different picture or a different story. So you're writing down kind of with your left hand, some of the jotting down some of these things that you can see so you can 
pay more attention to what you think your job is supposed to be, just the language. Right. I, I had to get out, get this, what I thought was extraneous stuff coming into my mind. I had to get it out of my head so that I could concentrate on my real job, I thought. Mm-hmm. So uh, interesting. And those, and I did not understand what these things were. All I could do was just, it was just like, you know, clearing out the cobwebs. Uh, and mm-hmm. I, I, Soon I had a stack of these scribbles that after a while they would come back. You know, they would be gone for, you know, half hour, hour or so, and then they would come back. So I kept having to do this uh, in order to to concentrate on the translations. Um, And after about two or three weeks of this, you know, in that business, you don't throw anything else. You don't throw anything away. I didn't Mm. know what to do with this pile of stuff. So one day I'm in the corridor outside the office I was working in, uh, and the sex, the CI section chief, who was the real boss of the operation, was passing, and he was the only person I had direct contact with. Incidentally, I did not report to the army folks. I was being borrowed by the CIA, but so I had I I had a these bunch of things or these stack of notes. And as we were passing in the hall, I stuck him in his pocket. And then as we were going in opposite directions, and then I went back to where I was working. And about an hour later, he came busting into the office, and he said, where the hell did you get this stuff? And and I thought I'd done something really bad, you know. How do I explain? But before I could make any sense, he said, I don't care where it's coming from, keep it coming. So <laughs> that stuff meant something to him, but I didn't. So I was being, something was happening. I didn't understand. And they didn't, because it was useful, they didn't ask questions. Wow. Uh, just keep it coming. Wow. And a, and a few weeks later, before I was to leave the operation, because my the end of my army tour was coming up, he returned and he said, Eugene, you've got to come back. Uh, we've had people in London and Washington with all the skills and time in the world to study these things. We cannot find them on the tapes. Something else is happening. And, 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 you, and nobody else could, no one else could do this. Come on back. So my that's God. what I thought my career was. Yeah. My God, that is so fascinating. So only because it was useful and, you know, typically like in in a television show or a movie when somebody's getting some psychic insight, they try to prove themselves to the powers that be and the powers that be are cynical and jaded and saying, oh, that's a bunch of hooey. But in your case, you're just simply getting this these cobwebs out of your mind and taking note of them and they pursue you to keep doing that simply because they're useful and there's no time to question where this is coming from. So you're encouraged to keep it coming and no one else is providing this level of insight and you're really doing your job because you're, they're wanting to know what the other side is thinking and what's really going on, not just what they're saying with their words. So you're really providing this. So, so then, so then you come back for another tour. What happens next? Well, no, they, uh, I was high, I was then recruited by CIA to become one of them, 
uh, after I left the army and would come back. But the irony of this was, this is now May of 1956. And while I was on the water, going from Bremerhaven, Germany, to New York, because uh, instead of going by plane, which is how I came, uh, they, there was nothing in my papers that, had, that would identify me with, as having any knowledge of Russian. That was now top secret, and I was just going back as an ordinary soldier to be discharged. And then I had a phone number uh, that the CIA guy gave me to call when I got into New York that led me to another phone call, another telephone number, that led me to another telephone number. And eventually I found myself at the CIA headquarters in Washington, D.C. My God. So something like this is happening to you and you're not allowed to say a peep to anyone. So, oh my God, keep going. So you arrive in Washington. I get to Washington to report for duty, thinking I'm now, and in the meantime, I've applied to universities because I had no education in those days to speak of. And I knew that I had to get some credentials in order to survive in this uh, level of, of intelligence. And, uh, and I had applied to various universities with the help of the guys that were agents there that were naval officers and, you know, CIA guys and MI6 guys. So I was their pet, I guess, <laughs> over there. And anyway, they advised me to to keep my options open. When I reported to that CIA building for duty, no one came out to meet me. I was just asked to go over to the intercom, and a man's voice was on there. He said, uh, uh, Sergeant, uh, uh, we, I'm sorry, we have nothing for you. Uh, and I, I couldn't understand this. I, my God, what, what do you mean, nothing for me? I've gone through all this rigmarole of filling out all these forms and applying to all these universities and all that, getting all that, and I had a wife and a, fat, and, a, and a child by then already. So I, and then suddenly all the plans were gone. And, and they couldn't tell me that the project had collapsed while I was on the water. Ah. Wow. So what did you do? I didn't, when... know, I, didn't learn, I didn't learn about that until a year or so later. I didn't even know it happened. Um, and so I was so angry. And this anger, suddenly I hear, I felt I felt betrayed. Mm-hmm. I felt used. I felt thrown away. Right. I said, well, I said, hell, if, you, if I can't serve, I'll make money. So I went out to the newspapers, the New York Times or the Washington Post, I don't know, whatever they were out there, to see what the biggest numbers in the one is were. And they were all... In, Science and engineering. Well, I don't know what that is, but that's what I'm going to be. <laughs> so that's how I make that decision. My God. And, then that, and that anger drove me all the way from freshman to PhD in seven years straight, no breaks. And wow. So, yeah. So, wow. Well, talk about a divine uh, plan. 
So you were able to go in this yep. in this engineering direction, which has served you well. But somehow, and and how old are you at this time when they when they shut you out of the CIA? About how old are you? In at this moment, I just want to track the timeline. I'm watching it like I'm thinking of it like it's a movie, and there should be more than just a movie about what happened in Berlin. A whole movie about your life, by the way. But how old are you when you first came to Washington? Let's see. That was that was uh, May of '56. So I'm not yet 33 or 23. I'm 22. Oh my God, you're a baby! Wow. I'm a baby. <laughs> okay. So how do you get how do you get brought back in? How do you how does that end up happening? Well, I didn't get brought back into the agency. Uh, uh, I uh, this is now I'm a PhD. I'm in I'm a nuclear scientist at General Atomic in in Southern California. Uh, this is now this summer. Of 1964, and I've gone through, graduated from Berkeley, and took a PhD from the University of Utah, uh, all being driven by this this fury that was in me, and that uh, about which I could not speak, not to my family or anything. Wow. Uh, my wife. Wow. In those days, I couldn't even tell her that I couldn't tell her, you know. Wow. So, so, so this was kind of a this 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 kind of formed a. A PTSD in me, but which I didn't know, you know, I couldn't process. All I knew, I was able to manage it in some positive way, which most of the guys, you know, don't do. They get caught in drugs and and stuff like that. And and you know, anyway. Um, so in the summer of of, of 1964, I'm now working as a as a nuclear scientist at General Atomic working on nuclear fuels for power reactors. And I had a vision that hit me like in the right side of my head, just open up and, uh, that of a psi warfare uh, offensive. I had it in terms of what I thought were the Soviets, the Soviet psi warfare offensive. I, I thought I'd gone mad and I didn't know who to talk to. What do I do with this? And the only thing I could connect to was my Berlin experience. Um, you know, that was the only thing I could associate this this horrific vision that I had. Uh, and so... Um, and when you say psi... Let me just stop you for one second. When you say psi warfare, just break that down for those who don't know what you mean by those terms, psi warfare. Describe that. Yes, Yes, psychic warfare. Okay. So what does that mean? Well, it means mind control. It means being able to, on a major, long basis, uh, on a broad basis, being able to control the population uh, beyond what they are aware of. Um, wow. So you, so you got a vision of this happening from um, Russia, from, and Russian intelligence to, uh, attempting to or succeeding at, to some degree, influencing our thoughts of those of us here in America, how we think, how we, and how we're feeling, and and that obviously was incredibly disturbing. Okay, so, so what did you do? Well, I, the only person I I 
trusted back in those days was my brother, who was an Air Force officer, and um, and I I told him this, uh, and he didn't know what to do with it. He was really distressed with it, and he went to a a, a friend of ours that had been our Boy Scout master. After the, it was a he was a celebrated U.S. Uh, Air Force Colonel, uh, one of the group of uh, military people who invented the original astronauts. Um, his name was Jack Tuller, uh, and my brother went to see him about this, and this is what made the difference. When when Tuller heard about this this idea from my brother, he told my brother, he said. Don't let your brother make the mistake of feeling absurd about this idea. Mm. See if he can get see if he can get hard information. Oh wow! With that encouragement, which that's all I needed, I went as any good scientist would do. I went to the literature to see what was out there, and I became aware of all this strange, crazy stuff that was out there. Whoa! And I. And I didn't know what in the world to do, except there was one, one researcher that had the most, that was the most respected in this field, in this strange stuff that I was wallowing in now. Uh, and his name was J.B. Ryan at Duke University. He called, he's called the father of parapsychology. And he's the guy who invented the term extrasensory perception. Wow. And... He made Duke famous because of his work. Even so, Duke was embarrassed of his work. Wow. So, Eugene, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to go to a quick commercial. For everyone listening, the, the voice that you're hearing, besides me, I'm Kelly Sullivan Walden. You're listening to Eugene Kavalenko. He is a PhD. He's a scientist, engineer, and is part of the inspiration, actually one of the one of the people that inspired um spies beneath beneath berlin it's a movie i recommend that you see it so you can see him in action and um also if you heard of the movie with george clooney yes it was a comedy but it was also about real things that happen in the military that relate to extra sensory perception eugene was part of the inspiration and and um maybe more of that and we're going to be right back here with more from eugene finding out more about how he continued this incredible level of work and also he's going to tell us about his cree method that is a method of dream work Discover the power within. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. If you've been inspired by the programming on Unity Online Radio, we hope you will give your support so others may be inspired too. This online radio network depends on the support of listeners like you to continue operating and expand its outreach. Go to unityonlineradio.org and click on Donate today. Here's a Unity Mindful Moment with Eric Butterworth, taken from the live lecture, A Course in Practical Metaphysics. 
Healing is the experience in our life of coming out of the darkness into the light, getting out of the confusion of human consciousness into the allness which is always present. But the allness of infinite life is present even within the illness. So God is not a healer. He doesn't look down upon you and say, well, you're sick, but you're a good person and I like you very much, so I'm going to take this illness away from you. God doesn't take illness away from anybody, nor does God put illness into anyone, which belies a lot of traditional religious thought too. We talk about, well, suffered to be so, it's God's will, and I guess it's my place to accept it. The will of God must always be the ceaseless longing of the Creator to express itself in that which has created. So it's a constancy, it's a force, which is ever seeking to press itself out into visibility as life, as wholeness, as success. To find out more about Eric Butterworth, visit unity.org. Sometimes you might feel so alone with your problems, you don't know where to turn. We invite you to call Silent Unity, the 24-7 prayer ministry, where someone is waiting to pray with you every day at any hour. Listen and relax as you hear their beautiful words affirm the highest and best outcome for you and those you love. No matter what's going on in your life, Silent Unity is always standing by. Call today, 816-969-2000. Give someone you love the gift of inspiration with a subscription to Unity Magazine. Each issue has interesting articles and compelling interviews from some of today's most prominent spiritual thought leaders. Explore new ideas in health, science, spirituality, and a lot more. Send gifts to your family and friends and save $7 off the subscription rate. Get a one-year subscription for just $14.95. This offer ends on December 31st, so go to unity.org to find out more. Create a path to success and prosperity with May McCarthy and Abundance Incorporated every Thursday at 2 p.m. Central on UnityOnlineRadio.org. A co-founder of seven successful companies, an angel investor, best-selling author, and international speaker, May will help you each week with spiritual and practical tools you can use to create a life that you love with greater health, happiness, wealth, and freedom. Join the show live with your questions or listen later on demand right here on UnityOnlineRadio.org. Call now with your question or comment. 816-251-3555. That's 816-251-3555. Dream interpretation and a lot more. Welcome back to Ask Dr. Dream with Kelly Sullivan Walden. Welcome back to Ask Dr. Dream here on Unity Online Radio. I'm Dr. Dream, Kelly Sullivan Walden, and... I've been having a most mind-blowing conversation with Eugene N. Kavalenko, Ph.D. He is such an amazing soul. Ah, just before the break, he was talking to us about his experience underneath Berlin and um, how he was brought in to interpret Russian, simply interpret Russian and understand what the Russians were saying. This is during the Cold War. And um, and but he started to get pop-ups and insights and he would just scribble them down just to kind of get them out of the way like cobwebs clearing out of the way but it turned out those pop-ups were his higher intuition speaking to him and it turned out that 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 information was valuable to the powers that be so that was part of the the inspiration for him to keep following up on this path. And then he developed, um, he got his PhD and um, in engineering and 
developed a whole other career and then um, started having some insights and that were kind of disturbing about what we could call psychic warfare. And um, I know this was a terrifying conversation that I, I had with him a couple years ago or about a year and a half ago when I first met him. But don't worry, we have a solution for you. So if you're scared, don't go into denial or don't freak out. Know that there's going to be, um, we're going to wrap this up in a beautiful red bow for you. But in, all right. So Eugene, are you still with us? I'm still here. Okay, wonderful. Thank you so much for being with us here on Unity Online Radio. Okay, so when we were last talking, you you were getting encouraged by the man who had been you and your brother's scout leader, and he was telling you to not dismiss these thoughts, but to these insights, but to go look for some hard evidence. And so as a scientist, you knew what he meant. All right, so then, so what did you do? So in the literature, now we're talking, we're talking August of 64, I, be, I began to notice in all this strange literature that just, I didn't, there's way out of my uh, experience, strange stuff, you know, spooky stuff. Um, but I noticed that there was one scientist that was the most respected in the business uh, this paranormal kind of reporting. And his name was Dr. J.B. Ryan at Duke University. Um, and he is known as the father of parapsychology. He, he's the one who invented the term extrasensory perception. So I wrote him a letter. I said, Dr. Ryan, I've, I, I've, I've had some strange experiences and I don't know what to do with uh, I'm not sure how to handle it. Can I come and see you? And he invited me to come to see him. And that was in November. By that time, it's November of '64. And and I I didn't know how I was going to get to see him in Raleigh, North Carolina, or in Durham, North Carolina, where his where the university is on the other side of the continent. Uh, I couldn't afford to go see him, but I just happened. And you're talking about synchronicity earlier, Kelly. I just happened to be invited at that time to give a paper on my doctoral dissertation at the International uh, Material Science uh, Organization. And that happened to be taking place in Raleigh, North Carolina, which is 25 uh-huh. miles away from Duke. Oh, I love so this. Oh, wow. Paid the I paid the freight. That paid the freight to get me. So there, and I gave my paper. And I dropped by to see Ryan on my way home. Uh, so I only wanted to see him in his office uh, for, you know, a few minutes. Or, um, for him to tell. So I, I went to see him and I told him that idea. And I said, am I crazy? That was my question. And he looked at me and he said, no, not only, not only are you not crazy, but this is urgent. He said, uh, we have been waiting years for a man with your background. Uh, and then he opened up to me his library. full was this hard information, the stuff, stuff I was looking for, rigorous stuff. And, and he gave me two books. One was from a man, a Soviet scientist by the name of L.L. Vasiliev in Leningrad. And in those days, it was St. Petersburg now, but it was in Leningrad back then. We're talking 64 now. 
and uh, and he said, um, he said, he, he what he did, he gave me the phone. He said, Eugene, here's the phone. Call your wife. Tell her, tell her you're going to come to work with me. Wow. <laughs> and I said, I can't, I can't do that. I just started a career. What can I? I can't make a decision like that. He says, Well, look, then stay, stay here, uh, stay overnight at our expense, and come and see us in my laboratory tomorrow morning. That it was a Sunday when I went to see him, and and uh, I guess that was a Sunday because it was Monday morning, and um, so I went to see him, and he was he was he was uh, putting the pressure on to make a decision. I just couldn't do that, uh, so. As soon as I got to the laboratory, um, I was relieved because two celebrities had appeared there. This was always happening to Ryan. He would be, people would come unannounced, unexpected celebrities to come to see because they were intrigued with his work. Well, these two guys were Eddie Albert and Bill Lives. Wow. Everybody (laughs) Everybody was going gaga over these guys. And so then they, suddenly the onus is off me, and I was delighted. I got into a corner just to watch what was going on. And at the end, and, and Eddie Albert was super, super, he was a longtime admirer of Ryan. Wow. And he was asking super intelligent questions. On the other hand, Burl Ives, who was a buddy of, of Burl, uh, and, and Eddie had just dragged Burl, along with him, he was frightened because he was associating this laboratory with stuff that had happened in his his acting career that frightened him. So he was really upset and not happy to be there. So after the meeting was over, Ryan says, okay, now Dr. Kovalenko, here he is all the way from California. We want him to tell us why he's here, and after he tells us why he's here, we want him to sing the song of the Volga Boatman. Mm. That knocked me. What? First of all, how did you know I sang? Number one, and that, that I knew that song, and I don't have any accompaniment. I'm not warmed up, and these guys are here. All I could do was just do it. So I just stood up there and sang, and I never sung that song better. And, I, and Eddie Albert was banging his head with his with his right hand, you know, what? and Bill Lives was helping me pull the boats. He was bouncing up and down, so he was now having a good time. I got a chance to see how pros give energy to uh, fellow performers. Oh. You know? uh, and, and so after after it was over and everybody was clapping and so forth, Eddie uh, uh, Albert said, what, what the hell do you do? And I said, well, I'm trying to be a scientist down in Southern California. He says, well, what a waste. What are you going to do with that voice? Oh, that's great. Well, I know what to do. Here's my card. You give me a call. Now i got another career. Uh, <laughs> so, so, then they took, to, they took me to lunch, and I won't go into that. But you can find this on the Rhine Research Center. There is a correspondence between me and Rhine that's published on our blog. And that, and it turns out there was a woman in that uh, meeting who was just there, happened to be 
Brian's daughter, who was just visiting, but she remembers my singing uh, at that meeting, and she recalls it in recent in recent years when when I contacted the, the Ryan Research Center, and they asked for my correspondence with Ryan, and so that was you know, for their archives. That was interesting. That's yeah, very that interesting, and I remember being at your workshop and you. And you sang us in, and that was very unexpected. Can you give us like a bar or two of just a couple, couple lines of a song that you that that song perhaps? I'll sing that song that you remember. Okay. I, you know, and uh, I always like to start my workshops with a with a song. Um, Let's hear it. <clears throat> get you out of the head. I'm just a poor wayfaring stranger Traveling through this world of woe And there's no sickness, no toil, no danger In that bright land to where I go Oh, that's... Your voice is incredible. Oh, that's so symbolic also. Wow, thank you for thank you for adding that layer and it does get us out of the head and into the soul. That's for sure. Well, I know because this this show this show is short and sweet. I want to make sure that we get this in because I've been promising this as we go and I know there's a million more layers to your story, but one of the things that I have not forgotten since we met, um, we met a couple years ago at an International Association for the Study of Dreams conference. I was in your workshop and I had a very profound experience using your Cree method. So I want you to say something about that in a moment. But I, afterward, we had a very long conversation that wasn't long enough because I could have talked to you for months and years and never get to the bottom of it. But I remember when you were talking about kind of the psychic warfare and the things that are going on that most people can't see with their eyes and don't know that's going on that would frighten them. I asked you, I said, so is all lost or is there anything we can do to have some kind of immunity for this or to cope with this? What's the thing that we can do? I don't know if you remember what you said to me, but I remember, but I just want to see what's alive in you now in your response to that question. Well, I said the way, the only way we can defend against a psychic attack is being enlightened. Yes. Becoming enlightened. And that's exactly. what my Cree process is designed to do, is to help open the door to how to go there. Yes. So I just want to reiterate. So let's unpack that for a second. Then let's take a few moments in, in, and, dis, and unpack what the Cree process is. But to, so if we spend our time, if we're watching the news and we're getting upset and we're getting all fired up and we've got nowhere to put our angst except we implode or we explode on the people that we love, it's not really doing a whole lot of good. But if we know that our solution is besides voting or doing, you know, going, talking to your Congress people, doing some physical action that you're, that you're inspired to do. But in addition to that, 
if you become the most awakened, enlightened version of yourself, and I'm not talking to you, Eugene, I'm talking to our listeners, because I know you already know this. Um, that is the way out. It's like the way in is the way out. So that gives us some kind of action plan. That's some kind of call to action. If we if we do our meditation, if we do our, like taking every situation, like what's your, let's just say, what is your most direct route to becoming enlightened? Is it Cree, the Cree dream process? That's the way I, uh, uh, that's, that's the only way I could figure out how to solve the problems, external problems. When I was an engineering manager at aerospace, the company I was with was having a terrible morale problem, and uh, I had, I had, uh, I had been through a Jungian analysis about ten years earlier, so I really valued dreams, getting to know myself, and but, but you, you know, I, I, I'm fond of saying, can you imagine a more hostile environment than a, for dream work in an engineering company? Uh, right. And and so, but fortunately, this company was in sad states, and I was just promoted to engineering manager with the with the um, task of helping them solve the morale problem. And I thought, well, this is an opportunity. So I began to interview each of my staff members whom I'd known for years, but I realized the company's relationships that people have are all superficial. So people were not used to telling them, themselves, let alone each other, the truth about themselves. But, mm. uh, it was so. But this time, people were desperate. Uh, people hated to come to work, uh, and the company was losing money big time. People were just not producing. So I began inviting each of my new staff members in to get personally familiar with them, and and then I said just. Just lightly, I didn't want to push this. Uh, I wanted to know why they were here, what their ambitions were, what their hopes were, what their job was, and then we would go from there. And said, and if, by the way, you might happen to have a dream, I would be very interested in that. Well, the very next day, one of the staff members, the older woman, who was in charge of keeping the documents uh, safe and clean, engineering drawings and things, came in to see me and said, I had a, a, a very disturbing dream this morning about one of our engineers. And, uh, and, uh, and so, and I don't know what to do with it. And so I, I, I talked to her a, a little bit to make sure that this wasn't really a projection or something really going on in her, whether it had anything to do with anybody else or not was a question. And as I talked to her, I realized that this, this didn't seem to have anything to do with her, that maybe it had something to do with this particular engineer. He happened to be a, a, nas- a foreign national, so he didn't speak the language that well. And uh, so I said, would you, and this was the big, here was the big risk. Would you mind if I invite this engineer in? His name was Gene. I won't go to his last name. Would you invite it? Would you mind if we called him in and you and you tell him that dream? She said, "Well, that'd be fine." So we called 
Gene in. And I could tell he was he was very nervous. Um, and she told him the dream. But I watched his eyes really carefully, and I saw him go up, open. And he, he got sort of excited. And I said, Gene, does this mean anything to you? He nodded. He said, oh, yes. So I I asked Betty to, to say, thank you, Betty, for, for risking uh, this dream. It's, it seems to have opened the door. Uh, I'd like to talk to Gene himself now. And so she left. And and then Gene told me is that he 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 was losing weight, he was frightened, he had, he had, I had given him a job that he didn't couldn't do, and he was afraid to say anything about it. He was he was just really. It turns out I knew he could do it, but I I had he hadn't understood what it was. So I that's all I needed to know that he was confused and he was had been afraid to say anything about it. So I was able to reframe it in that office, and he got so excited. Now he knew what to do. He could do it. He knew that. And everybody could see because I had a big window in my office that was open to the the rest of the room, engineering room. And they saw him, how he came in with this kind of cowering, frightened place, and how he came out alive and and smiling and eager to go to work and do this job. Well, the morale in my department just began to just go up really quick. Wow! And and people couldn't couldn't wait to come to work at my in my department uh, instead of paying to come to work. And soon we were the only ones keeping our commitments. And and the the, the boss, which whom I didn't get along with all that great before notice what was going on and he said what are you doing over there and i said well i don't i don't know well whatever it is you're doing will you do it for the company (laughs) how long do you need well give me three months so we said now how are we to do it well let's meet once a week for two hours off campus at company expense we'll do breakfast And, and and he agreed to that and all volunteers so most of the volunteers were department managers that were having trouble with their own people. So that was, that began the process. And here's the dream after I didn't need I didn't need three months. In six weeks we began this creative process began to emerge and and uh, the my secretary was the one who produced a dream that knocked it out of the park. Hmm. Let me just tell you what it was. Sure. Here uh, and, and the, the she had a dream about two of the department managers of, of all the people that would not be getting along would be the production manager and the production control manager and she dreamed these two guys were falling, coming out of the sky in parachutes <laughs> and banging each other on the way down bloodying <laughs> each other as they got to the ground and one of them had a white towel, and he threw it in and walked away in anger. Well, everybody, these two managers were there in the group, and they had volunteered to be a part of it. And here they were, everybody was sitting around with their mouths open because they'd been outed. This is exactly where the problem was. Nobody mm. was everybody was saying anything about it. And they looked at each other. And they began laughing. 
what the hell have we been doing? And everybody broke into laughter. That broke the back of this morale problem, and the, and the company took off. My God, my God, getting it, getting to look at things symbolically, got to got to shift things. Yeah. Wow. And then we could talk, and I developed a technique, as you know, where we could talk about a dream without actually disclosing it until you feel safe about it. Right. So, so briefly, I mean, first of all, that's incredible because again, I think it's, you've got such an interesting life because I think a lot of people would like to see some kind of metaphysics or dream work brought into the corporate world, but, but it's looked at as something that may be too airy fairy or too inappropriate, too revealing, and it couldn't possibly have its place in corporate America or in engineering or in any any kind of an organization that would be considered mainstream and yet you've been invited to because it happens to be this other skill set that you have and and it's been able to be phenomenally and quickly life-changing i mean if if um if companies were smart, they would hire you and hire the people that you train to do this all over. I mean, you could probably fix the world if you had the opportunity to do this. The solutions are right in front of us. Okay, so you have a book that's going to be coming out very soon. Do you? What's the name of the book? Well, we, right now the the working title is "Working with a Structure of Dreams." A working with the structure of dreams, and what's the subtitle? A way, a, a way to track and share your dreams. A way to track and share your dreams. So what's great about your your Cree method is that you allow people to, what I experienced was it was a room of people, nobody knew each other, and and we were all able to decipher our dream. And normally you share all the details and that's usually the only way you can get to clarity. But you have a way that people in a covert environment can still get to the juice of their dreams without having to out themselves. <laughs> it's pretty incredible. Um, so right. what's the, so you can, do, you can do both. You can build inner, inner community and outer community simultaneously. And so you, your book, um, if people want to find out about your book when it comes out, because I know it's not out just yet, and I'm excited and very proud that I got to write the foreword about it. I got to share about this this powerful dream that I had. Go ahead, Eugene. It's a wonderful foreword you did. It's very revealing because the dream was very revealing and embarrassing and troubling. And by the time I was done with your workshop, I was crying tears of joy because I had seen my dream in a whole new way that was so liberating. And I don't know, I mean, you and I need to talk, but it's kind of set me on a whole trajectory that's, that is like, my life has changed as a result of having done the Cree method with you and in that workshop. So I just thank you so much. And I want everybody to know more about you. So the best website is it, is it Eugene? Um, what's to spell out the website so people, cause I know your, your last name is beautiful, but it's a little bit hard to spell <laughs> for most people. So please give them your website. It's a uh, website is Eugene N. Kovalenko. It's spelled K O V. Like Victor A L E N K O P H D dot com. So it's all one word. Eugene N K 
EugeneNKovalenkoPhD.com. EugeneNKovalenko.com. And one more time, the title of your book so that people can take a note of that and, and look for it on Amazon, like within probably within the year, you think, right? Or within maybe the next six months? No, it's EugeneNKovalenkoPhD.com. Oh, EugeneNKovalenkoPhD.com. Well, that's where you can go to find out all the information you need to know about Eugene and his wonderful book and his wonderful work. And Eugene, I just thank you so much from the bottom of my heart and soul for joining me here today on Unity Online Radio on the on the Ask Dr. Dream show. You are a phenomenon. You inspire me. And I think the message that we'll leave everyone with is just go go out and be enlightened and let your dreams add rocket fuel, no pun intended, to that process. So thank you, Eugene. Have a dreamy day. And everyone listening, make sure you join us again next Wednesday here on Unity Online Radio on Ask Dr. Dream. And until we meet again, don't take your dreams lying down. Sweet dreams. Thank you for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Do you have an online course or an event or a book you'd like to promote? We've got the right audience for you. Our listeners love content like the show you just heard. You can reach our engaged audiences by advertising right here on mindbodyspirit.fm, the podcast network, in shows about wellness, self-care, spirituality, angels, and more. Contact info at mindbodyspirit.fm.